Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We are on this sub-series, this mini-series, within our verse-by-verse study of the book of Acts. We've paused at Acts chapter 6 at a very critical and crucial time in the early church. It had the potential to really wreck the progress of the church because there was this sense of feeling neglect as things were being distributed among the widows, and it had some racial issues, it had gossip, it had complaining. And the apostles, they said, we cannot leave what God has called us to do. And the solution of solving the problem were other people serving, really exercising their spiritual gifts. And we're reminded in the spiritual gifts here in Romans chapter 12 that there is a place for you in the body. There's a place for you in the body of Christ. No matter the size of your church, small or large or multi-site, whatever it might be, there's a place for you. Why? Because God has uniquely gifted you and we need you. I can just speak for our own church. We need you. God has brought you here for many reasons and one of the reasons is that your gift will be exercised in the context of this church family. And so you can have that assurance that God's put you right where he wants you to be. He doesn't want you on the sidelines. He doesn't want you watching things. He wants you involved and fully engaged in serving him. And so far, we've studied two of the seven gifts. The first gift we studied, well, let's read beginning in verse 6 of Romans chapter 12. By way of review, Paul writes to the Romans, he says, Having then gifts... Differing according to the grace that's given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The first gift we looked at was the gift of prophecy. And we define that as declaring the truth. Remember, we're going to take each gift, we're going to attach it to truth with a verb. And so the verb for prophecy is declaring the truth. God has given some men and women in the church the supernatural ability to take his word and cause it to shine. We learn that it is not the Old Testament office of the prophet that has been done away with. It's been replaced with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in every believer. And some believers have the supernatural gift of speaking forth the word of God. Not only that, but often you will find someone with the gift of prophecy as they're speaking forth the word of God. Also see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit of the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge come to enhance that gift. So it's very precise and laser focused. And we studied that in a previous study. Secondly, we studied the gift of service, the gift of service. In the New King James, they translated that word ministry, but it's often remembered as the gift of service. 
And this gift, we learned, is practicing the truth. That God has given some men and women in the church the supernatural ability to serve, serve, and serve some more. It comes naturally, but also supernaturally, that you see a need and fill it. Nobody needs to ask you. You just take care of things, and you don't really care who gets the credit. You just were made to serve the Lord. We come to our third study today, our third gift, and that is the gift of teaching. The gift of teaching. And we're going to follow the same pattern we did in all the other studies. First of all, number one, what is the definition? What is the gift of teaching? Well, we place this gift in the category of verbal gifts. Remember, the gifts are in either a verbal or nonverbal. Sometimes they overlap. But teaching is primarily a verbal gift. The gift can be defined as explaining the truth. Explaining the truth. The original word here in the Greek language, the original language of the New Testament, is diadosko. And it literally means to instruct or to teach by the word of mouth. And the idea is of a person who has information and desires to deliver it in such a way that influences and changes the mind of the person hearing it or receiving it. It's an interesting word, too, because it points to both the giving of information, but also the learning of the information to give. And so here's the definition. God has given some men and women in the church the supernatural ability to teach the Bible in a way that can be understood in its meaning and also understood in how to apply it to our lives. So the Christian who teaches is divinely gifted with that special ability to interpret and present God's truth understandably. While the gift of prophecy, the gift of prophecy is God's ability to proclaim his truth through someone, the gift of teaching is God's ability to systematically and regularly instruct someone. So the distinction is between proclaiming and instructing someone through the Word of God. And I thank God, we thank God for the many teachers that He's put in our lives. They have helped us grow tremendously. I think of the many men and women who have given teachings in my life that have helped me. They've taken some of the hardest topics and simplified them so that I can understand them and apply them in our life. And I would say that teaching has changed your life as well. Teaching has changed your life. The teaching of God's Word has dramatically changed your life and your mind. You have been washed and cleansed by the water of His Word. You, you have now approached life so differently. You have learned where you were going in one direction, but actually God's desire is for you to go in a totally different direction. Most likely, you learned that from a teacher. For many of you, you heard the gospel proclaimed to you, and you heard the gospel proclaimed through a teaching, through a gifted teacher that perhaps also had the role of an evangelist in his life. And here you are today. Your life has been changed. And this gift is not limited merely to the teaching of the Bible. The spiritual supernatural gift of teaching can be used in many different ways. The difference is, is that a Christian will approach all their topics with a worldview that honors God. That's the difference. 
No matter where you are, take teaching in the public school compared to a private school. You will never shed your worldview. And how God uses and applies your particular gift will be different based on the context of where you are because you're the tool. You're the tool that God has chosen to use in weaving his word into everything that you teach. Now, a person with the gift of teaching often will have this love. You ready? A person that has the gift of teaching loves to read and learn and study. That's just part. So I'm not going to ask for any hands being raised, but if you don't like to read or study, you probably don't have the gift of teaching. That doesn't mean you can't teach anything. It just means it's not going to be the primary spiritual gift in your life. Because a person that teaches and has that gift is always learning, always learning, reading, studying, doing research, digging deeper, and they find joy in that. They just love, like some of you are like, okay, here's your future. You're going to sit behind a desk and read all day. Already you're squirming. Oh, I could never do that. Yeah, well, I love doing that. And nobody could have really predicted. I think back to when I was in high school and, and those times, so I didn't get to go to college, but in high school, like nobody would have ever predicted, nobody, not a person in the world that would predict that I'd be doing today what I'm doing, even though God already knew. I mean, if you think about what I do and it's primary, basically every week I'm reading and studying almost every day and preparing two full term papers or essays Every single week for the past almost 30 years, that's what I've been doing. And you know what? I love it. I love what I do. I love learning and growing. I love wrestling with the text. I love looking up words. I, I love praying through the text so I can apply it in a way that our church family will understand. And I love reading. I read and read and read and I read some more. I love it. Now, many of you don't love that. And that's okay, because remember, you have a place in the body. It just may not be my place. Sometimes, that's what we do. We compare ourselves like, well, you know, Ed, you have the most important gift in the church. I don't. I don't have the most important gift in the church. The most important gift in the church, really the most important gift in your life, is the one you have and the one you exercise. You're not supposed to be anyone else. You're not supposed to be me, and I'm not supposed to be you. I'm to operate, you're to operate in how God's made you and gifted you for the church. So you love to read, you love to research. You know, if it takes 100 hours of study and research just to deliver one hour of material, the person with the gift of teaching says, that's fine, I like it. If it takes 100 hours, that's what I'll give. And others of you, if it takes one hour, you're like, oh, this is so hard, I don't like this you probably don't have the gift of teaching. Teachers like to explain. That's the important word, explanation. They love to explain how things work and many times are very much into details, like exactly what a word might mean or exactly the history behind that or exactly the context because it will help them explain, it will help them explain what is being said and what's to be learned. A person with the gift of teaching generally doesn't want people to leave their presence without a clear meeting of the minds on the topic that they were talking about or they were discussing. 
And with that, let's bring it down a little more personal. If you have the gift of teaching, you usually place a high priority on accuracy and detail. And it brings you great joy and happiness when you notice that someone actually understood what you were trying to explain to them. And it's like, yes, it worked. You sometimes have a, and listen, we'll get to some of the hazards a little bit later, but consider this one right now. If you have the gift of teaching, you sometimes have a hard time when asked a simple question, giving a simple answer. Why? Because you want to explain it. You want to give the background of it. You want to lay all the different layers that you can see when the person just want to know, do you think the sky looks blue today? And you're like, well, you will not, you will not believe this. With the refraction here and the ocean here and the blue, what color blue? That's, that's Pantone color. Six, you know, like, Dude, does the sky look blue to you? The answer is yes. But for a teacher, you like to explain and that's a good thing. You're gifted in that way. You'll often, with given a question, you'll often give a lot more to the answer than what was expected from the person asking you. You also, on the other hand, if you're a teacher, you love to ask questions, and you're very curious about things. I'll tell you why. Because you value and understand that in order to teach, you also have to learn. You are a learner first. And as you learn, then you're able to convey that information that you have grasped and that you have learned. So you ask a lot of questions. You're very curious. You, you are always looking for deeper illustrations or deeper explanations yourself. You, you might even be accused of being curious to a fault, but that's how you learn. And you have self-discipline, which is very noticeable and apparent. You also love looking as the spiritual gift. This is a spiritual gift. You also love looking for Bible answers, and you will love applying the Bible answers to, to questions in people's lives at work or in your family. You may also even be accused of always having your nose in that book. Because that's what you realize, this is the source of all wisdom and knowledge for living life. Remember in the knowledge of Jesus, the Bible says, we've been given all things pertaining to life and godliness. So the Bible is going to teach you and me not only how to live our lives with each other, but it's going to teach us more importantly how to live our lives with God. Exactly what we were taught. Jesus said that we're to love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Then we're to love our neighbors. Where do we learn that from? We learn that from the word. How do we understand it? Through a gifted, godly teacher. If you have the gift of teaching, you also notice when there's information that is lacking. And you will immediately begin to plan on how to get the right information to the right people. You just kind of live in the realm of facts and information. And it bothers you when you know someone could have been clearer or someone could have explained that better. And you may find yourself jumping in to try to fix that. It also seems like you can quickly figure things out. Like, like when you're reading and you read a sentence, you're very quick to understand what that sentence means. Or if you're reading, you're very quick to understand, well, that's what the paragraph means. Well, other people are unsure where sentences and paragraphs begin and end. You see them right away. And you can grasp something very quickly and then process it and give it right back out quickly. That's the gift of teaching. 
You don't really like it when people don't understand you. That's why you keep trying to explain it to them and explain it to them. And they're just like, no, I didn't get it a half hour ago. I'm not going to get it now. And yet you're frustrated, and we'll get to the, some of the dangers later, but it becomes very frustrating because you love teaching, you love people learning, and then when someone doesn't learn from you, it really irritates you. And so you keep trying to explain it, explain it. Married couples uh, would understand this in their arguments where this one spouse is like, I'm done. And you go, no, I need you to understand. I need you to understand. I'm not speaking from experience. I'm just telling you that that's possible in a marriage. All right, how did it operate in the life of Jesus? How did it operate? Number two. Well, it's clear. A, a, a very cursory reading of the New Testament and even a more in-depth reading of the New Testament would show you that Jesus' ministry was a ministry of teaching. That is what he came to do. He came to teach us and bridge the gap between sinless God and sinful man. As a matter of fact, we've applied that principle here when we ask the question, whether it's school ministry or in a leadership training or among the pastors, uh, even when I'm going out to teach others, I'll ask this question very open-ended. Uh, for a lack of a better uh, illustration, I use it nonetheless, and I'll say, okay, guys, what is the business of the church? Uh, I don't believe the church is a business, but if it was, what would be our business? What is the business of the church? A lot of different answers come back. Evangelism love, uh, feeding the poor, a lot of great answers come back and they're all very applicable on why God has the church on the earth today, but it's not the answer I'm listening for. It's not the answer I'm looking for. If I ever ask you this question or you ever want to have a discussion about it, here's the business of the church. You ready? The business of the church is communication. Everything you just described is a piece of communication that if we communicate well when we give out food, we're going to bridge the gap to Jesus. If we communicate well, if we step into social issues, we'll bridge the gap to Jesus. If I communicate well the love of God for your life, that because of sin, you are separated from God, and the Bible tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible tells me in my life that the wages of sin is death. However, the Bible also tells me that the gift of God, the, although the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That through his death and his resurrection, the blood that was shed for you, your sins can be forgiven. And that today, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In order for you to come into a right relationship with God, somebody needs to clearly communicate to you the gospel. Everything about the church is communication. And the better we communicate, the better we can serve. And you know as well as I do how much damage, how much difficulty, how much confusion comes through miscommunication. I'm not even talking about bad communication, just miscommunication. And one of the ways that God addresses that in the church is through teachers. And Jesus, of course, this is an understatement, he was the master. Dozens of times he's referred to as teacher or rabbi. We see him teaching all the time. If you're taking notes, Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 12, he was a teacher. He had a couple of familiar tools that he used when he was teaching too. One was to address it this way, you have heard it said, but I say to you. That's a teaching tool. 
That's taking where you are right now and addressing the, the information that you have is either completely incorrect or partially incorrect. And once you realize that, what did Jesus say? He says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And he spoke with authority. And many times that's how we will address sometimes you have been raised in a particular religion. Maybe you weren't raised in church at all. And as we're talking to you, maybe you lived a life of sin. And as we're ministering to you with the word, we may, you may hear this phrase. We, you may hear this encouragement or this, this direction in your life. We may say to you, you have a lot of things that you need to unlearn. That's what Jesus is really saying. You have a lot of things to unlearn. And, and the difficulty is, is that that touches a part of our, our pride. Because, you know, especially if you're older, you're like, man, I spent my whole life and I have to all this unlearn. I, I waste, I remember my dad asking me, look at me in the eye as I was sharing with him the truths of the word. I remember him asking me, are you saying that I've lived my whole life wrong? That's how he interpreted it. And I said, no, dad, I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that there is a lot that you need to unlearn. And so trust me, it, you learned it the wrong way. It, it was given to you the wrong way. You adopted in your life the wrong way. And so this is the right way, and you take them to the Word. Another familiar tool that Jesus used in his teaching, remember, was the tool of parables, where he would, par he would take a truth and, and he would lay it aside a story. So that if you remember the story, you remember the truth. And that's what illustrations do. That's what examples do. You know, we might get a familiar laugh or we might get a chuckle out of it, but you remember that and you attach that to the truth. Jesus used that masterfully. Another tool that Jesus used was just using everyday things. Can you imagine just walking with Jesus and Jesus say, hey, you see the flowers over there? And you're like, yeah, I see the flowers. They are so beautiful, aren't they? Yeah, they're amazing. Well, you know, Solomon, he wasn't arrayed as good as that. You know, God takes care of the flowers. He takes care of the birds. He's going to take care of you. How could you ever forget that? I mean, you know, I have that same familiar story in my house. Every animal in our neighborhood thinks our house is theirs. They're tripping alarms all the time and eating all Marie's plants. And like, it's, uh, they don't even pay rent, nothing. I leave a little mortgage statement out on the ledge and they don't, they, they don't do anything with it. Why? Well, because God has used, and used my family and our particular home to take care of the birds that he's taking care of. Like, he takes care of the birds, and on top of that, like, you're, you know, that, you, you think about it, if God's going to take care of the birds, don't you think he's going to take care of you? That was Jesus' teaching. He was a master at it. Let, let me show you an example. Go over to Luke chapter 24. Even after his resurrection, he continues to teach, and we see this in Luke 24 with these men on the road home to Emmaus. They're bummed out. It's a difficult season for them. It's very emotional. They're interpreting everything incorrectly, which is to be expected when you're grieving and when you're wrestling with things. And Jesus comes and meets them there. They're a few miles away from Jerusalem. Notice in verse 25, it says, Oh, foolish ones, Jesus speaks to them, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory. So he addresses the issue. The issue is faith. They're, they're lacking faith. They're lacking understanding. And, and he gives them a mild rebuke to get their attention. And notice what he does in verse 27. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets. You know how we would say that today? 
beginning in Genesis and taking them through all the way end of Malachi. That's your entire Old Testament. So beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them, which is another word for teaching, in all the scriptures of the things that concern himself. He basically did an overview of the Old Testament and reminded them of every place prophetically, where he was, what it pointed to, all the way up to the resurrection. Because the resurrection is spoken of in the Old Testament as well. Unbelievable Bible study. We all wish we could hear it. We all wish you could post it up on the web and put it on our app, but we don't have it. Instead, we have God's word and other teachers that he has gifted with the gift of teaching. All right, thirdly, our third question we ask about these gifts is where did it operate in the early church? This is an easy one. Teaching was a primary focus of the early church. Go over to Acts chapter 2 now. You remember on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon those waiting believers, it, it drew a large crowd. The Holy Spirit came and empowered them and it drew a large crowd. And what happened? Peter immediately got up, took advantage of all the attention, and what did he do? He taught them a Bible study. It was evangelistic in nature, but what did he do? He explained to them from the Bible what they were watching and experiencing. It says right in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, then suddenly a sound came, all this activity then verse 5, there were people there, devout men, they're seeing, they're asking questions. Verse 14, Peter stands up with the 11 and he raised his voice. Why? The gift of teaching is a verbal gift. He raised his voice and then notice in verse 16, but this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. So he started teaching them a Bible study about what they were seeing, but he also even took it into the future where this Bible study affects us today as well. Notice in verse 42, as the church continues to grow, look at the emphasis. It says that they committed. This was the commitment of the early church. They continued steadfastly, and the very first thing that's mentioned here is what? The apostles' doctrine. We know that that is the teaching of the apostles' doctrine because when we get to chapter 6, we see what a priority it was. So go to chapter 6 with me. Difficulty enters the church. The apostles assess it, and what's their first conclusion? Their first conclusion is in verse 2, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Then in verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What is the ministry of the word? The teaching of the word. They had a place, the deacons and servants had a place, and they recognized that this must remain a priority. And churches have tanked. People's faith have tanked. Uh, false doctrines have taken root because pastors have abandoned their responsibility to teach the Bible in its entirety. What it says, what it means, and what it means today. That, I believe, is the essence. And anyone that undermines teaching of the Bible, don't listen to them. Anyone that tries to change it, oh, we don't need that. And that doesn't mean necessarily they taught every verse. Don't listen to them. The primary purpose of the pastor teacher in the pulpit is to systematically teach the Bible. You guys got that? Did I raise my voice a little bit? Sorry about that. This is very important. This is your life. 
These are your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids. They don't need all kinds of opinions. They don't need all pastors trying to experiment with things. And Oh, I read a new book. Let me tell you about it. You need the Word of God. As good as books might be, and I have quite a few recommendations. I love reading. They're not as important as the Bible. You don't need me up here explaining, oh, there's a brand new movie. Let me show you a moral story in the new movie. No, go watch the movie and make up your own mind. Here, you get the Word of God. And you should be able, if I do my job well, God uses me, you should be able to walk into any situation and use the Word of God and apply it to anything you're in. You don't need it here. You need the Bible here. And we've adopted the the methodology, and I agree with it. I fully agree with what's known as expository teaching. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter, in the whole context of what God has to say. Not just some hobby horse. I, I do like some topics more than others, personally. I'm sure you do as well. But, but even my personal opinions, my personal opinions of what doctrines I like the most, are not more important than getting the whole word and le- allowing God to the best of our ability. And so I, I don't like the trend that's going on today. I don't like it at all. It's not healthy for you. It makes me mad. It makes me mad that people would think that their role as pastor-teacher is to mess around and test things out and experiment on the church. We don't need to experiment on the church. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's that simple. And allow God to use you in the giftings that you have. 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, it says, A bishop that must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, good behavior, hospitable, and we miss this one often, but able to teach. That's a requirement. Titus chapter 1 verse 9. Paul's writing to these young men in leadership and he says, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Again, Paul would write to Timothy and says, the things you have learned from me, commit them to faithful men that they might teach others also. The gift of teaching is of absolute importance in our church. And by the way, that that sense between teaching and learning, I do want to make a book recommendation to you, a book that truly changed the way I teach many, many years ago. It's required in our school of ministry, uh, but those of you that teach, it it, it totally changed my thinking. The book is titled Seven Laws of the Learner. Seven Laws of the Learner, Bruce Wilkinson. Uh, an amazing book. It's, it's kind of a thick read because he goes through and he doesn't just deal with the Greek word, but he also deals with the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word for teaching has in its definition the idea of causing someone to learn. And here's his whole direction of his book. His, besides all the practicalities and tools that he gives, here, here's the direction. The direction is this. If you're a teacher and you teach someone and they don't learn anything from you, It's your fault as the teacher. That's his point. That our responsibility is actually to take the time to learn, to grow, to have the tool refined so that we can be the best vessel in order to have the teaching actually cause people to learn. And there's so many other tools in there. It's just such a great book. I pull it out. I used to do it once a year, but I pull it out every couple years now and just kind of review um, all the things that I've learned, it's such a great tool. So I recommend it to those of you uh, that like to teach. You feel like you have the gift of teaching, it will be helpful. A teacher, someone once said, affects eternity, and she can never really tell where her influence stops. And isn't that true? 
Can we look back and think? I, I have one teacher in particular that I'm still connected with that I first met in junior high and he followed us into high school that profoundly affected my life. Fruit from this ministry goes to his account because he taught me English and wouldn't let me get away with any of the shortcuts and slang or anything. And I, quite frankly, I didn't like him for a while uh, because he was always writing me. I was like, how about everybody else? But now that we look back and like, you know, I know why he was writing me because God had him write me. It's all God's fault. That's why that's all his fault or for my benefit. It's amazing what God does. Okay, let's fi finish up today with a few of the hazards, a few of the dangers of the personality of this person that has the gift of teaching. Number one, you want to watch out for this. You may show a lack in preparation. You may not prepare as much as you should, and I'll tell you why. Because learning and teaching comes so easy for you, you falsely conclude you don't have to study as much that you can just give whatever surface level information you have because you, it'll teach and people won't realize, you know, won't tell the difference anyway. No, they actually will tell the difference and God tells the difference when you're not faithful to the gift he's given you. There's a, there's a word for that and that is don't be lazy. Just because you have a gift does not give you permission to be lazy. Laziness when it comes to teaching and just about anything else related to God is sinful, and you don't want to enter in with a lack of preparation and to spend the adequate time. What you may call just flying by the seat of your pants is actually just you winging it in the flesh, and the people you, you teach deserve better. They deserve your best because they are coming not for you as the teacher, but they're coming to worship God, so don't get in the way. Prepare well and make the way so they can get to Jesus. Number two, here's another danger for the one with the gift of teaching, and that is you just are a fact dumper. A fact dumper. You say, what do you mean? Well, teachers can often confuse the giving of facts with teaching. Just the giving of facts. As a matter of fact, in the book I recommended, he, he revealed something to me that I was doing years ago, and that was I had a relationship more with my notes than I did with the people in front of me. And my thought was this. I thought it was a good thought. My thought is I'm spending all this time putting all these notes together. I better give them every single thing I did all week, trying to cram hours of study into just a quick Bible study. So what would happen is I wouldn't pay attention with the people in front of me. It was just my notes, my notes, my notes. What did I miss? And you're not a fact dumper. When you teach the Bible, you are teaching for life change. And it's very important you remember that. It's not, not, not so important of what you teach, although you want to be factually accurate, but also it's important of how you teach so that you can help people apply these truths, not just getting up there and dumping a bunch of information um, that you might have picked up along the way. Number three, another danger for the gift of teaching is you become extremely arrogant and prideful. Or you could say it another way, you begin to lack humility. This is such a huge danger for teachers because those with the gift of teaching live in the realm of facts, information, and knowledge. And because you live in that world and you spend more time in that world than other people do, you have to be very careful that you don't become a know-it-all. 
because you live in the realm of facts and knowledge. You're always studying. You're always looking. You're always learning. And then you start to feel good about yourself and you start to feel smarter than everyone and then you get impatient. Why don't people know? But the Bible is clear. It's rooted to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. The Bible says, now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, makes you arrogant, but love edifies. And you need both. You, You live in the realm of knowledge, make sure you live more in the realm of love. And love will temper anything in our lives. Any misuse, you just walk in love. Um, It's super important that as you walk in love, God, the Holy Spirit will lead you. Um, It's been said, again, I learned this from Seven Laws of the Learner, first place I ever read this. I've heard it many times since then, but he said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's super important, especially in the realm of the church. Number four, Uh, Those with the gift of teaching, you need to be careful not to lack integrity. Not to lack integrity. A teacher needs to be walking what he or she is talking, or they should sit down and stay quiet. Now, I soften that phrase up from the brother I got it from. I'll say it to you the way he wrote it. A teacher needs to be walking what he or she is talking, or they should sit down and shut up. That's what he said. He said, I said, stay quiet. Shh. But think about this, the kind of impact that you have on people's lives. If you're not living what you're teaching, you're a hypocrite. If you're not living what you're teaching, you're a hypocrite. It's true in the pulpit. It's also true in home. You really think your kids are going to be more influenced by your words than by your actions? You need to live out what you're saying You and I, we need to have lives. Every single pastor you have ever heard of that has fallen in disgrace and disqualifying sin at some point stopped walking what they were talking. It might have started small, but then they got away with it. And then it got bigger and it got bigger. And and you're like, well, Ed, why didn't the Lord just take them out right, right away? Well, because God is gracious and merciful. And he loves his church. He loves people. And so for a teacher, when you have that authority and you're standing in the presence of God, you have to walk. You have to live it out. Here's here's how teaching works. First of all, knowledge comes to you, so you open up the Bible. Then it's deposited in you, so it begins to change. Then it comes through you. You just don't take it and give it right back out. It's not just barking off a bunch of information you read in a book or a commentary or something. The Word of God needs to come to you, it needs to get in you, and then it needs to come from you. That's effective teaching. That's the spiritual gift. It's not just repeating information, and it's definitely not living a life that lacks integrity. Titus chapter 2, verse 7, Paul tells Titus, Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity reverence, and incorruptibility. Number five, another big mistake that uh, teachers can fall into is you forget your audience. You forget your audience. A teacher can take something complicated and make it really simple, and to that we say amen. But you know, I've met a few teachers that can take something simple and make it very complicated, and to that we don't say amen. You need to know your audience. I was thinking of a Bible study like this. If I went down and taught your third graders... Those of you who have third graders, and I went down 
to teach them this exact study. I could use the same exact notes I used to, to deliver here, but for your third graders, I'm going to need to deliver it very differently. The illustrations I use, uh, the, 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 the way I explain it, the eye contact, most likely I take your third grade. If I had to do that right now, that was the challenge. Most likely I'd go downstairs, I'd move all the desks, we'd all sit on the floor. If they like candy, I'd probably give them some candy so they automatically like me. Um, make sure that there's you know, no peanuts for all the allergies, all of that. And, and I, you know what I would do? I probably wouldn't immediately start teaching. You know what I'd do? I'd probably immediately start talking and just asking them questions and learning about them. What's your name? How's your family? Where do you go to school? What are you struggling with? That's what, we, that's what I do. You know, whenever in, in, before any service here, I want the pastors out greeting you. I want them praying with you. I want them learning your story. That's what I do. I know it might be interpreted as small talk. It's not small talk. I'm fascinated by your stories. I'm fascinated how your day was. You know, tell me how your day, and somebody will go, oh, it wasn't much. Well, tell me what it was. And when you tell me, I'm like, oh, man, that's pretty cool because my day was boring because you already know what I'm doing all day, reading and studying. That's what I do. But you're out doing this, and you have this, and then we're talking about your hospital visit, and then we're praying about your marriage. And I'm like, man, you know what that's going to do? It's not only going to help me minister to you. It's going to help me teach better. It's going to remind me of who's in our church. It's a very big challenge when I go teach, when I teach at a conference or I teach at another church because, you know, teaching here, you guys have been with me for a while, so I can almost count on all your courtesy laughs. You're going to give them to me to some degree. You're going to follow my dumb stories. You know pretty much what's going on with my wife and I, so you'll follow along. But when I guest teach somewhere, I can't use any of those tools because nobody knows me. So I've got about three minutes or so to gain people's trust. To, to, and the way I do that is before, I, I don't want to hide in the green room and hang out with people I know. I want to meet the people that I don't know, the people I'm about to teach. What's this community like? How are they? If it's a conference, what are the churches? What are you struggling with? What's happening? So that not only do I have my notes, but I can be open to the Holy Spirit and know my audience. The way that this is most often applied wrongly is when you have a teacher that just teaches over your head. Have you ever had anyone that is just over your head? As one person put it, uh, the Bible, Jesus said to feed my sheep, not feed my giraffes. Yeah, every other service didn't get it either. Let me explain it to you. Let me explain it to you. When you feed, the point is this, when you're feeding sheep, you're down at their level. You know, giraffes, their head's much higher. You remember, they have a big neck, and much higher. So if you're feeding the giraffes, you are not, you're over the head of the sheep. You guys get it? That's the gift of teaching right there. A little explanation, little explanation. So the idea is to know your audience. And so if it was third graders, the whole goal is I want the third graders to know that as a born-again third grader, they have a spiritual gift. They don't need to wait till big people church or whatever. They are gifted by God as a born-again born kid. And God, throughout the Bible, uses kids. And he wants to use your kids. But I would use different language. I would use different techniques. I would use because I want to know my audience. The goal isn't just to give them all this information. The goal is life change, even in a third grader. Some people said that some teachers that go over your head are like pilots or aviators. They announce a text, taxi for a short distance, then take off from the earth and disappear into the clouds. And after that, all you hear is the sound of them flying way over your head. 
And so the gift of teaching, you've got to know your audience. A couple more, and then we have communion. Number six, number six. A person with the gift of teaching can get irritated very quickly. Irritated very quickly. Because teachers can often lack patience with those who are slow learners. And some of you are slow learners. You might even feel bad about that, but don't. That's how God made you. You may not ever refer to yourself as a slow learner, but let me, let me just shift it a little bit because I've met people like this and I've worked with people like this. You may not refer to yourself as a slow learner, but you might say it takes you time to process things. And that's a similar, it just takes time where somebody can get it right away and, and grasp it. Others, I've, I've worked with people here. I can give a direction. Somebody gets it, runs off. But, but when I give direction to this other person, I have to remember He's going to take a little bit of time to process this, and I've got to give him a few days so he's going to come back with a bunch of questions to clarify, and then he'll be good. And you just got to learn not to be irritated with different learning styles uh, and different abilities. And, and it is important that we walk in patience. That's what 2 Timothy 2 verse 25 says, that we're to be patient, able to teach, patient, and in humility. Then the final one you want to watch out for is a teacher, someone with the gift of teaching can get easily discouraged. Easily discouraged. If you're a perfectionist, then you get very discouraged because you don't think you did a very good job. You never think you do a good job teaching. And the days that you do do a good job, somebody's always there to humble you and you're like, oh, all right, I missed that or I missed that word or whatever it might be. You know, for pastors, when you're praying, you really need to pray for pastors on Mondays uh, sometimes even Sunday night, because they just get beat up. We just get all beat up from the pulpit. We get beat up and, you know, maybe missed a phrase, missed that point, missed that, and you just kind of walk away going, man, that was the worst Bible study I ever had. But, you know, somebody got saved, so it was the best Bible study that they ever had. So, you know, you just got to remember that transformation is not your job. And you can always improve, always. You're always going to be able to improve on teaching. It's always going to be sharpening the tool that make you a better teacher. But transformation is not your business. It's God's business. You just be faithful. Put in your time in studying. Put in your time praying. Put in your time delivering. And then the power of the Holy Spirit living through your life. Just let God do His work. And so when you think of pastors on Monday mornings, just pray for them. Pray that the Lord, wouldn't, that Lord would encourage them, that the enemy wouldn't beat them up where they look back and go, oh, it was a horrible message I'll tell you right now, you're a pastor listening in, I'll tell you right now. You walked into that pulpit, you did your study, you did your preparation, you, had, you prayed over it, and you delivered it, you did a good job. And you can just go to bed trusting God that he's going to use his word, right? Because his word's never going to return empty. So just give forth his word. In summary, God has given some men and women in the church the supernatural ability to teach the Bible in a way that it can be understood and its meaning, and also understood, and how to apply it to our lives. Amen? We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety, or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.